0: KYW News Radio Original Podcasts.
1: From KYW
2: News Radio 1039 FM, this is Bridging Philly, connecting our communities on the issues that matter to you. Presented by Gift of Life
0: Donor Program, Organ Donors Save Lives.
1: Hello, I'm Raquel Williams. Coming up on Bridging Philly, it's Mother's Day weekend, and moms across the Philadelphia region have more in common than they don't. So I invited a couple of moms in studio together to talk about motherhood, the struggles, and the triumphs.
3: You know, this this culture that we live in puts a lot of pressure on, on women, on mothers, to, yeah. to do it all and to
1: be all. And we'll be joined by a clinical psychologist that helps families deal with all of these struggles on a day-to-day basis.
2: This is the time when you have to be aware of it, and you are going to be a bit of a punching bag. And, of course, you have to set the limits that are right for you. You're going to get past it. It
1: We'll have more of our special Mother's Day Bridging Philly coming up. Hello, and welcome to Bridging Philly. This is our special Mother's Day Bridging Philly show, and I am so excited to be joined by... KYW's own Michelle Durham. Hello, I'm, Michelle.
0: I'm honored. It's my first time here in Bridging, Philly. and I, I can't think of a better subject
1: than this. <laughs> this is awesome. And we will be joined by more KYW moms uh, in a few minutes. And we are joined also by Anne Rose Inspector. She is a clinical psychologist with a practice here in Philadelphia. Welcome, Anne.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Well, you know, we wanted to gather together and talk about all things motherhood and parenting, and we figured why not have an expert in here to also give us some tips and the like. So let's start out with talking about as far as your practice and when you see families and families come to you with different issues, what are some of the common, more typical child-rearing issues that families tend to bring to you for solutions?
2: Well, there's two different kinds of families. There are families where they understand that it's the whole unit that's got a problem and families that think it's only the child that has a problem. (laughs) And in some ways, I think it's like dog training. You also have to train the owner. So I, I think part of it, a big mistake that parents make is when they really believe, but say, I treat all my children exactly the same. And of course the obvious thing is why would you do that?
1: Hmm, Michelle, is that true? Do we, I mean I I I try to do that, but do you? What do you do that?
0: I dole out punishments the same, but people have different needs and different thought processes. And if you have a child that has ADHD or something else, they have to be parented differently you know, but people have to always feel that they're being treated the same, but you have to employ different parenting skills.
2: You want to treat your children equitably. So obviously you're right when there's a child with special needs, but you're also right when you say that children are very different. And so part of it is that parents have to also be psychologists, which is you have to study your child and figure out what motivates that child what punishment will work for that child, what that child's speed and need is. And if you can do that, you're gonna have a much easier time as and so whether you have one child or 10 children, they're still different people.
0: Correct. I have what I call Irish twins. So my son is adopted and then he's in an infant carrier and he's three months old. And suddenly I missed the whole first trimester of my first pregnancy, which is my daughter. So they're 13 months apart almost to the day. So I have two children who are, as you say, equitable in age, but completely different people and completely different genetics. And so that has played a role in how I parent.
2: And I think that is the key thing, which is to learn what works for your child and what your child needs and try to respond to that.
1: And I I often talk with parents who actually echo the same sentiments and it's that the kids seem to have more going on than we do these days. And so keeping up with schedules with the whole family as a unit can be pretty difficult or stressful. How are families better able to manage that kind of a thing, that that whole dynamic of scheduling and trying to do things together when we're all over the place?
2: I think that one of the things that you have to look at is to set your priorities. And if your priorities is that your children will be in 20 activities, you're going to have a very different kind of family than when you say things like, we're going to try a couple things, but having the family is very important. You know, there's a lot of research on the small, small percentage of American families who have dinner together, even one night a week. And then there are families where food is prepared, but people eat it separately or go to their room. I wrote an article about this actually about 30 years ago. The dinner table is the most important gathering spot for the family, because it's not just about food ingestion, it's about values and teaching and bonding. So I think that when you look at the schedules, if soccer and ballet and art and trombone are more important than the work of the family, I think you've lost your focus.
1: I think it's interesting that you wrote that 30 years ago and that still applies today. So important, It's
2: amazing because
0: I raised my children as a single mother. The dinner table was sacrosanct. So yes, you had each got to pick one activity. And most nights we ate together as a family. And that's how we stayed connected. your
2: Your children will always remember that. But also when we look at children who embody our values, whether it's to stay in school, whether it's to follow our religion, our customs, et cetera, they learn that at the dinner table. Telling a child is one thing showing them is so much more important. So I think that in, in order to what you were saying, Raquel, I, I think what we have to say is what's the most important thing. We can't do everything and trying to do everything just exhausts us, but then we lose the center.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And the center is what your kids remember. You know, my children are now 36 and 39. I'm a grandmother. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is what they remember and what I see them doing with their own children, which is they're not doing it the same way. But what they remember is so important. And it's often things you don't even remember that you were consciously trying to show them. Yeah,
1: you know, One thing I want to bring up with you, Anne, is I have a teenager. I have a 16-year-old. And I have to say she started becoming unrecognizable at 15 I'm really wondering when I'm going to get my kid back. (laughs)
2: 30. Wait for 30. Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding? Another 15 years? Another 14 years? Yeah, but the good thing is they leave the house. You have time to yourself. When they come back, you've missed them.
1: Tell me, though, because, you know, I, I... what is it that's going on? I know we were all teenagers. I, I Maybe I don't even remember going through this crazy stage. Oh, you but... think
2: you were much nicer as a
1: teenager.
4: I was. <laughs> of course. That was
1: angelic. No, really, what is happening in those teenage years, you know, 15, 16, 17, something happens to mm-hmm. them. Are they coming into their own? They're trying to find their own, you know, feelings and opinions about things. And they're they're trying and, and pushing the envelope. What's happening there?
2: Well, there are so many things happening, and every generation it's actually harder because the, the bar keeps getting raised. But you first of all have hormone, hormones, which are changing. And of course, not only are your child's hormones changing, but by the way, everybody in their high school has got raging hormones. The the stakes, especially for kids who you know have high-achieving parents which I'm guessing both of your kids have. Yeah. And as my kids did, which is for many of us, it was not harder. You know, the American dream is about each generation does better. Right. And, and for many of us, that wasn't hard for us. But for our kids, it's very hard. And the competition is great. And social media is a disaster mm. in most cases for kids. And part of it is they're starting to individuate from us and that's one of the reasons why you know we get children that seem to be so compliant and then at some point they you know everything we say is irrelevant because their their sort of guard or the guide is their peer group right but here's what happens which is really dangerous raising children whether you're a single parent or a parent with another parent and working is so incredibly hard that when your children get to be adolescents Part of it is you want to pull back a little bit. You you don't have to do their laundry. You don't have to let them in the house. You don't have to drive them places. They can get food on their own. So they're pushing us away. And part of us is pulling away because we're exhausted. But that's when they need us the most because everything is new. Everything is unsure. And so at the same time, teenagers are pushing you away. And part of you says, good. I'm out of (laughs) here. Yeah,
1: go get your own food. I don't Fine. I have more time.
2: This is the time when you have to be aware of it. And you are going to be a bit of a punching bag. And of course, you have to set the limits that are right for you. But understand that they're trying all these things on and you're going to get past it. it. I often say to parents, it's like when you're at the beach, when you look off in the horizon, it's always calm. But we're near your feet. The waves are crashing mm. and adolescence is like that. Someday they will be 30.
1: Someday they will be 30. All right. And Rose inspector, a clinical psychologist, a practice in Philadelphia. You have been a wealth of information and so much fun. Thank you so much for joining us on Bridging Thank Philly for, for this me. Mother's Day special. And happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you so much. As we continue with our special Mother's Day Bridging Philly program, we are joined by two more KYW moms, Carol McKenzie and Denise Nakano. Hello. Hi. Hey. 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 All right. So we're all here. You know, we just uh, were talking with uh, clinical psychologist Ann Rosen Spector, and she said shed some light on some interesting topics we're talking about well you heard us talking about the teen the teen years has everybody dealt with the teen years here i'm in it oh yeah, right. yeah i'm, I'm in in partly done, yeah. in it you know you're kind <laughs> of 14
3: year old it. so yeah i'm uh, a okay. year old so yeah i guess that's I am in
1: when it. <laughs> the little changes start to creep in at 14 because i have a 16 year I and mean, I mean, she probably is going to listen to this but i told her you know she's she is pushing the envelope she's trying to see how far she can go and She's pushing the patience button, too, as far as, you know, I'm on the last leg in some some areas. (laughs) Um, But, you know, she said that at some point... They come around they and then you become friends. So you've experienced that already. Well,
0: my children are 22 and 21. So, yeah, it, it absolutely does. And what Anne su- suggested was that when they're teenagers, they actually need you more. And that is so
5: true. Mm. Okay. Well about you, yeah. Carol? um, <laughs> Carol's in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my daughter's 18. Um, she has always been very independent and helpful i'm a single mom so i think when you're a single mom you also your kids do things sooner because you have to you cannot you don't have the time you don't have the energy to kind of iron underwear which i've never done and never will do but i always tell my kids that my biggest job is to prepare you for adulthood you need to be able to take care of the basics you need to be able to cook you need to be able to clean You need to be able to do laundry. I mean, you need to be able to be self sufficient at some level. But my daughter has always been kind of wired that way. Mm -hmm. My son's room is a biohazard.
0: (laughs) I just, you know, but they say uh, girls are messier. uh,
5: They say girls are messier than boys. That's not true. Uh, uh, That is not true. My God, that is not true. And there's a difference between mess and disgusting. like you did say biohazard uh, it just you know food in the bedroom stinky, we've been through the stinky, ha- yeah. smelly socks but just food in the bedroom that i i, I won't even talk I'm like you from months you ago take a yeah okay. take a garbage bag i don't want to see it get it out of the house right. i'm not touching it i'm not right. opening it don't want to know. or they get
0: the bright idea that there's a bug in their room so they spray axe all through the oh. house to get rid of the bug oh. and Caitlin's just a year younger than her brother. And she's like, can I just give you some advice? That repels chicks. It doesn't attract (laughs)
1: them. So
0: we have all kinds of conversations in our house with them growing up.
1: That's funny. But what about... Boys and girls. We're we, are we all mothers of girls, or do we have boys here? No, I have, yeah. Board. I have okay,
3: one good. girl, so I have a blended family. Okay, one. which is a little different, right? Um, from nine to fourteen, and so one of the the middle kids is a girl. She's eleven years old, mm-hmm. and it is a little challenging. It's tough for her to be that only girl in the family, but also I do notice some other differences between you know the boys and and the and our girl. And um it can be a little challenging with like trying to get them away from social media influences. Oh, That's a big thing that we didn't yeah, have to is. face when yeah. we were that age. And oftentimes it is it is difficult for them to I think have gratitude towards you and I know that as uh, an adult now, I knew I didn't have gratitude, probably until I went away to college. So I'm just hoping I tell them, I said, one day, you know, I'm not going to ever take anything personally. One day you're going to you're going to be thankful for, for the things that, <laughs> that we one do. Day. You know, yeah. one day. It yeah. may not be now, but I know you will, because I know we're doing the right thing, and you just have to trust in yourself. And then, you know, hopefully by the time they get out of the house, go to college, and then have early adulthood, they'll start appreciating the, the moms more.
0: <laughs> they do. <laughs> Perhaps. Yeah. I want to get back to
1: social media. Before we get back to social media, that is a huge issue in in my house. I wanted to talk more about how much alike are we uh, as the, the, the female influence that brought us up, whether it was a mother or a mother figure or a grandmother are we like them? I, I have to say, you know, my mom kind of watches, you know, when she comes to visit, she kind of sips her coffee and she kind of watches and sees what goes on. She kind of smirks like, yeah, nice. I remember those days. You know, that kind of thing. And I'm like, Thanks, you mom. know, I sound like you and I didn't I didn't want to sound like you, but I, I find myself sounding like my mom. What you guys experience the same thing?
0: I'm a combination of my both of my parents because I had two exceptional parents and um, so I'm a combination of both of them and having to both roles. I mean, their father certainly was involved and everything, but I was both roles all day, all the time. Mm-hmm. And so I'm a combination. And yes, things come out of your mouth and you're like, oh, man. <laughs> <That's>, that, yep. <laughs> you know, my mom ha- would have uh, passed 10
3: years ago next month. Mm. So uh, Even though I think I take a little bit of her with me, I'm I'm like my dad too, but I think there's certain nuggets that I remember of my mom, of the unconditional love that I try to pass on to the kids. Like there's this one time I knew early on I wanted to become a a journalist, you know, at 13. Mm. But I think um, with her unconditional love and her telling me, I don't care what you become, you do whatever you want to do, whatever makes you happy. And she says, if you want to become a janitor, You're going to be the best darn janitor there is. So that I took away with me. That was like my strength, you know, carrying out. And I try to, you know, send that on to my kids, even though she's no longer with us. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I carry her in that way. I wish I was more like my mom. I happen to be more like my dad. (laughs) bit of a temper. I know you guys never see it, but you know never that kind of. That, yeah, no. you never see that, but um, but I do. And so you know, it's it's one of those things where you you take the best parts of what you can and and what you've learned yeah. and try to pass it on to the to kiddos.
5: Yeah, I, I'm like both parents too. Um, I have many traits, my dad's traits, and and my mom as well. I was fortunate; I was close to both of my parents growing up. Um, but recently. My kids were bickering. They're at that stage. Elizabeth's, you know, she's going to move on to college. Nicholas is 16. They're kind of – they're in that weird moment where they can't wait to be rid of each other um, right now, even right. though they're close. And I know mm-hmm. that eventually they're, they will miss each other. And my son swears he's not going to. But I found myself <laughs> – I found myself – there was a famous lecture that my dad gave my brother and I about someday there's only going to be the two of you. So mm. like my brother and I were fighting and I found myself I gave my kids the same yes. the same, <laughs> same, type same of lecture. lecture and my dad has passed two a few years ago and mm-hmm. so I was like, oh my God, Dad. <laughs> yeah. You know, thank you for that. It it's weird. You know, my mom is still with me, but it's weird, particularly when you have a parent who's passed that sometimes Those things come to you and those moments that – those mundane moments that in the moment you didn't realize, nobody I don't think realized how important they were. And then those are the moments that you take with you and that you pull from. And I'm very aware of that with my kids too. Like you don't know – what thing, what moment is going to make that impression with you get a stick, true, right? And that sticks. And, and my kids have, like, mentioned things from years ago that I forgot about. And they'll say, gosh, remember when you did this? And I was like, holy moly.
4: <laughs> yeah, but it, yeah. it really
5: kind of makes you aware of a parent, too, of it's not the grand stuff. It's not the big stuff. Right. It's the small it's stuff. The it's small the day-to-day stuff. That's true. The doctor talked about um,
1: the fact that, you know, she assumed that we were all high achieving parents and I am a product of high achieving parents. And when we're high achieving parents or kids of those, um, we tend to, you know, do the same thing, impart the same wisdom on our kids. And Denise, what you were saying, something clicked because I I remember hearing that, you know, from my dad. You know, if you're going to be a sweet street sweeper, you'd be the best darn sweet Mm -hmm. sweeper, you know, Mm -hmm. that there is whatever you choose to do. You have to be the best at it. You have to be great at it. So n- no matter what your choice, and I do find myself telling my children that. You know, I do. I forget. I do have a nine year old. It's just that she's not giving me attitude. So <laughs> We're talking about her, but she's. I'm sure she's. She's on her way. But uh, yeah, those 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 nuggets of wisdom that our parents pass on to us yeah. um, as mothers, we we tend to you know, pass those on to our kids. And it's, it's, you know, it's all about having those, those great experiences as we come up. So we have been fortunate to have those experiences, the four of us, I see, uh, as we struggle through this, uh, <laughs> this parenting, uh, to navigate these crazy parenting waters. But let's get back to social media. Denise, oh, you brought that up yeah, because, my gosh. oh my gosh, we try our best to stay on these devices and lock out certain things and control screen time. And what website is this? And how did you get around this? And, you know, it's, It's just nuts. But we didn't have to deal with that. And you're teaching your kid one thing, and then here comes these TikToks, and here comes these little videos or these little reels and stories that are—I'm sure you've seen some of the horrific ones. Some are fun, but some are like, why is this allowed— how are you able to see this? Mm-hmm.
3: And even the images that the they are images. exposed to, that we would be exposed to in newspapers and magazines mm-hmm. and on the television ads. And now they face that every day through social media. But it's difficult, too, to to take them away because a lot of times it's the way they communicate with their friends as opposed to on the phone like we did or seeing them in person. It's more like, OK, what kind of, you know, through text or whatever. And, um, you know, I think we are particularly challenged with our 13-year-old son who likes to spend a lot of time on social media and how to get them out so we've actually just like enacted some new rules. Like, okay, you cannot have this phone in your room. It's got to be charging upstairs. And right. you know, there's certain things that you can't do. You got to get your work done before. And it's 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 tough. Like something we didn't have to. It's such a distraction too. Yeah, that it, it becomes difficult. And then you know, our daughter Gianna, she will be on uh, Roblox. Like, on gaming, uh, like, the whole time if we don't take her away from that. You know, she will stick to that. It's like, okay, you got to put that down. No more screen time. You know, it's it's difficult because there's other things that that I think it takes away from, right? Social Mm -hmm. skills and just communicating with the
0: parents and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, Yeah. and that's why I insisted on having dinner, Mm -hmm. the three of us, at least three to four nights a week. We had one night where everybody was off doing activities, which is fine, but – I just insisted on that time because it's a time to take them away from all those influences and bring them back to what is the most important thing. And the most important thing is the three of us at this table. And your opinions are welcome, and I want to hear them. I always included my kids in every decision I made, including going to the Middle East. We sat on a bed. I was going to miss Caitlin's first day of first grade. And we sat on a bed, and we looked at a map of Iraq. And she looked at me, and she said, Mommy, I can't even imagine – What the kids over there are going through, you have to go. And I said, but I'm going to miss your first day of first grade. She's like, those kids need you more. Mm -hmm. You need to go. And she told me later that was the only time she thought I would never come home. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And so she absorbed that. And it's like you just don't ever know the influence that you have on your kids. Mm -hmm. But having those conversations about the world and about their lives and about their friends. They would come in the kitchen table and talk to me about their friends, their friends' issues and you know, I'm just so grateful for that open conversation.
1: I think it's great that they're talking to you at the mm-hmm. kitchen table because, hey, <laughs> girls, are, you know, how's school? Good. <laughs> you got to like extract like you're yeah. extracting what happened teeth. today? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I don't know where this conversation I I, – and they do say you can't ask questions like that. You have to say – what interesting happened in school today? Did anything, mm-hmm. no, nothing. And then you just try to <laughs> come up with different questions. Like, well, I guess school's not good. No, it's not bad. You know, <laughs> getting them to talk is is always a, a challenge as well. So that's interesting. Denise McConnell, you mentioned that you are part of a blended family. And I did want to bring that up. I didn't get a chance to talk with a psychologist about that. But um, that is an interesting dynamic, which, you know, Talk, maybe you can just shed light on that you know how that all came about and how that how that's going
3: yeah I mean we have um, had our blended family for about eight years so okay. they've they've grown up together for that that long of a time and we've got what a nine-year-old mm-hmm. an 11 year old girl and a 13 and 14 year old boys and um so they they've Kind of don't know much else in in some respects, but it is challenging because all of them have so different like personalities, and they're coming from also other parents too that have great influence, and so that's a factor, mm-hmm. you know. And trying to I think the transition is the most difficult. So not only are we dealing with their different personalities, them coming together, you know, under a different roof after not in, not having that in the very beginning, to then the influences from outside and other parents and how they do things differently that we just try to try to have i guess as as i guess a more supportive mm-hmm. atmosphere with less anxiety uh. because it's, i think it's hard for kids you know especially when they go from a transition from being at another house to our house that's another factor but um it is interesting uh, they're like we have like a little you know um little sports group i feel like you know and and they have all these different activities they're in two different school districts so there's so much running around you know, we're in South Jersey now. We've got kids in Laura Marion, got kids in South Philly. <laughs> and, okay. And I my mm-hmm. head's spinning. But mm-hmm. we just try to find the best way to make it work and to let them know that we love them. And no matter what, you know, we're here for them through, mm-hmm. through it all. And we like to support them in whatever they want to do because now all the activities are happening, right? They're at that age. And so we're running around like, you know with our chickens, with our heads yeah, cut exactly. off, <laughs> trying to yeah, like yeah. support everybody. But but we do what we can. You know, we do the best job that we
1: can. That's a great segue <laughs> into the final thing that I wanted to talk with everybody about, and that is the work-life balance. We mm-hmm. are in an extremely challenging career, mm-hmm. but we are mothers and we're managing. And like you said, we're running around with, their, you know, like a chicken with the head cut off. But somehow we, we, we get it done. But it is a struggle. It is not easy to... Have this career and have family and, you know, some, you know, relationships or what have you and everything else. And then trying to find time for yourself, trying to take care of you, you know, self care, you know, the catch word, but it is really important. How do you do it? I mean, I I mean, it's probably a, a huge open ended question. Like, how do I do it? Well, how can I sit here and explain how I do it? But what is it like as far as, you know, the challenges that we face and all those crazy schedules and the fact that this job is extremely demanding that we do day to day.
6: 100%.
5: You know, I liken it to, and you've heard this analogy, I'm sure, it's, you know, when you're on the airplane, Mm -hmm. you you take the oxygen first because then you can help your kids. I think particularly as women, and unfortunately I believe there's still some truth to this, we are – culture culturally we're told that we have to take care of everybody else mm-hmm. and so for me personally I kind of had to get a get past this feeling of feeling guilty for doing something for myself mm-hmm. um but I realized it's really really important because if you don't take care of yourself you are not going to be able to take care of your kids that's right but I'm also kind of so finding that time, though, is tough. Like, I'm not saying, like, it's really, really hard. And there are days when, I mean, I get up in the middle of the night, so that adds another layer of kind of exhaustion to the mix. But there are times when I say to my kids, I'm exhausted. You know what that means. I have zero patience right now. Right, Fair right. warning. Don't test me. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fair warning. Like, I'm just giving you a warning. I, I'm done. I'm depleted. I'm done. And... So I think sometimes for me, just being completely honest with my kids about where I am and how I'm feeling, but also giving the message to my daughter, who is very driven um, as well. And so, like, making sure that she understands that it's really important, even if if she's really stressed out, I say, we're going for a walk. You know, she'll say, I don't have time. I hear myself, I don't have time. Right. I said, 15 minutes. We're just going for a spin around the, the neighborhood. Right. It's really important, and so I just think having that thought that is almost—it's there every day. How am I going to do? What am I going to yeah, do? Yeah. I need to chill out. I need mm-hmm. to decompress. And there are days, frankly, when I don't. Yeah. So I think you cannot. Don't feel guilty about not taking yes. care of your, <laughs> t- taking care of yourself on top of everything yeah. else. Yeah.
1: It, it's so difficult. I, I have five baskets of clothes. In my house, unfolded. Yeah, <laughs> I just wanted to confess that yeah. to you. I'm like, listen, I am not. I don't have time. I'm running all over the place, and you know, the girls they have a lot of homework. I'm like, okay, we're not going to get to this to the weekend. And there are the clothes all over the place. I'm like, just dig through because I don't have time to fold these. And Dad, I haven't seen you ever fold a, you know, a, <laughs> a <sock>. so. <laughs> but I can't complain. It's everything else. So. But it is, it is difficult. You
3: know, I think a lot of the time we just have to forgive ourselves and, and oh, allow yeah. that space because oftentimes we feel guilty. I mean, I think as, as Carol mentioned, you know, this this culture that we live in puts a lot of pressure on, on women, on mothers to, yeah. to do it all and to be all. And I think even though we're making some progress, I think it still is internalized. Like we still feel mm-hmm. like we need to do everything. So, you know, um, to, to also be forgiving. So, who okay, okay I got five loads of, of laundry to do, but you know what, it's going <laughs> to Have to wait, and it's just almost like the concept of taking one step at a time, like one foot in front of the other, to get things done, and try not to be overwhelmed by life is is what you know I try to do. But I I just I know I I run myself ragged sometimes, but I just say okay when I settle down and make an appointment for you know going in to get a haircut or something, I'm like I'm really going to take this time and and be within myself and like relax because I deserve it, and and we all deserve it. You deserve it. You deserve it. I mean (laughs) we all deserve it because you know. We're raising these these little people who are becoming bigger people, and yeah. we really have a lot on our shoulders, and we need to forgive
0: ourselves, and we need to allow ourselves some, some breathing room. And the other thing I want to mention to everybody is just because they're 22 and 21, it doesn't stop. Mm-hmm. The pressures become different. But being kind to yourself is what's going to give you the stamina mm. to get through it all. And they really do come back to you, and they really are appreciative. I promise they do.
1: Denise Nicano, Carol McKenzie, Michelle Durham – Thank you so much. And happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, everybody.
3: (laughs) All of you.
7: 30 seconds to second chances brought to you by the Gift of Life donor program. Abdul Karim Salahuddin was near death in 2014. I needed to get a liver transplant. At the same time, Carol McLeod's son had a seizure. Ryan was declared brain dead. Carol, an Irish Catholic, decided to donate his organs. That's something that he would have wanted. Kareem, a devout Muslim, received Ryan's liver. God orchestrated this thing for us to come together. Now, their family. He's my older adopted son. Register as an organ donor at donors1.org and help save lives.
1: Welcome back to Bridging Philly. Sharaday Howard brings us this week's Newsmaker.
8: This week, we're paying tribute to mothers. And our newsmaker is a Philly mom through and through who represents much of who and what we talk about on Bridging Philly. Women leading by example, bridging communities in the midst of a pandemic, as street and gun violence skyrocket. The real newsmakers this week are mothers who continue to meet the challenge, like Yolanda Sidnor, a mother of three young men, all of whom she raised in the heart of North Philly. She's sharing her story, one of a mom doing her best to keep her son safe and her family on track. Welcome to Bridging Philly, Yolanda.
4: Glad to be here.
8: So you're a mom of
4: all boys? Three. Three boys. Therese, Taquan, and Isaiah. They're all seven years apart. That's a pretty widespread.
8: Now, raising three young men in Philly, it's not for the faint-hearted.
4: Not at all. Not at all. It has been very challenging in different eras of my life with the space in between each one of them. This last one being the most challenging with all of the violence going on um, throughout the world, let alone in the city of brotherly love. But um, God's been good to us because I've been blessed. I still have them here with me. So let's talk about that. Isaiah is...
8: 18? He just turned 18. He's a special kid. Tell me about
4: Isaiah. Isaiah is the last of the Mohicans. <laughs> I have grown tremendously from his older brothers, a a lot more patient, a lot more open and understanding with him than I have with his brothers. And they definitely let us know that Isaiah gets away with murder (laughs) with some situations. And I think I've gotten a little lenient, but Isaiah thinks I'm, I'm very hard, but he's a good kid, so I don't have to be. Hard. And he's not in the street causing trouble. You've been able to keep him close. He's listened. He's not into a bunch of nonsense. It's just music that sometimes I don't agree with, but then he points out some good things in some of the lyrics. He's an athlete, so he keeps me busy. And then the thing with the haircut at 18, he's a barber. He has his own business. Just trying to make sure he gets to and from cutting hair safely has been, most of the time, the challenge for me.
8: So Philly, like a lot of major cities right now, is going through a spike in street violence, gun violence. How have you managed to keep your boys on the straight and narrow?
4: Uh, One, by not being his friend. I will never be nobody's friend. I will always be mom. And I'll try to understand your side in this day and age that we live in. And you have to understand mine because... I run the house. It's scary because you don't want to shelter them from too much so they that they don't know how to handle themselves when you're not around. And all you can do is, you know, tell them what it is and, and hope that they see what you see and be able to handle themselves when they're out there without you.
8: So my mom used to always say a mother did her job when she taught her kid not
4: to need them. How does that resonate with you? And I'm 50, 55. I think I will always need my mom. Um, What I've done, and I think I've done a good job, if I can toot my own heart, um, I've given my sons tools of life, helped them pack a bag so that all of the things that I instilled in them, they packed, and they'll be able to take out and pass on to their children.
8: Tools and a skill set that they use day to day, because much of their lives were spent in the heart of North Philly, and then Germantown.
4: Um, it wasn't easy. I just kept them busy. Like my grandmother and my mom kept me busy. It's always something to do in the house: woodwork, windows, learn to cook a meal, them laundry, fold clothes, put them away was something to do. Tell us about that. They had big brothers, two big brothers, big sisters, my oldest and Isaiah. My middle son um, took classes at the Academy of Fine Art. He can draw and read music. They play sports. So I kept them busy. Uh, It wasn't no time for nonsense. And I didn't bring nonsense into my household and refuse to allow any end to it. I picked and choose to my boy's make company with so that they can stay away from the nonsense and I can protect them a little better.
8: So you kept them close?
4: Yes, absolutely. Very close. Almost skin close. (laughs) And clearly
8: it's working. So, you know, if it ain't broke. Now you made sure that Isaiah and your other sons had mentors. Can you tell us how important it is for young men to have mentors and how big brothers, big sisters played a role in their success?
4: Big Brother, I used it with my oldest son, but I was still young too, so I didn't know what I was getting into and how important it was at the time. But here I am uh, with son number three, 14 years later, I decided to reach out and get Isaiah Big Brother. And I had the pleasure, we had the pleasure and have the pleasure of... Former Eagle Safety Rodney McLeod, unfortunately he's going to the Colts, has been Isaiah's big brother for the last four years, and he has been a great asset to the family, just a delight, him and his wife, the encouragement that Isaiah gets, the links that Isaiah gets um, from him. Um, the mentorship, just Rodney being a part of these four years, have been vital to Isaiah's growth, and um, I I, th- I really thank God for Rodney McLeod. He's a great guy. Parents are great. We've been at some Eagles games cheering them on, but um, I can say that big brothers, big sisters definitely had um a great um part of Isaiah's growth in the last four years.
8: So part of the job of being a mom is to kind of create a support system outside of yourself as well.
4: The pastor at Jones Memorial Baptist Church has also been um, a great influence on my son's life. So I I just pushed in the right direction. I thank God for that because sometimes I felt like I didn't get it right or I'm doing something wrong. Um, And I say that to people that, you know, when they do things that I don't agree with, that what did I do wrong? I didn't do anything wrong. They have a mind of their own, um, just like anybody else, any male or female. They have freedom of choice, and that's how they learn by making mistakes. You know, they're stumbling blocks, they're stepping stones. So I let them grow that way, just like I did. I know
8: it goes without saying that there's a lot of ups and downs, and it's not easy, but I see so much joy in your eyes when you talk about your sons.
4: <laughs> I don't even know where to begin with that. It's, uh, it's great, you know, um... I see the results of the heart, the blood, sweat, and tears that I put out. I got great kids, and I may not even say that often enough. And hopefully, they'll get to hear this interview. But I don't, I can't see my life, my world without them. Um, I don't know if they feel the same way, but I guess the trip to Tampa maybe told me that they did. Tell us about this trip to Tampa. Um, Isaiah came in the house with this beautiful bouquet of roses and this card that I cried for about 20 minutes that I was just surprised that he took the time out to pick this card out for me said, so much about who he is and what I am to him. And as I read the card, I could hear him saying those words, so that made me even cry even more. So he was like, Mom, I'm giving you your birthday present early because you know I got a tournament this week and I won't be, weekend and I won't be here and you won't be here either. And I'm like, well, where am I going? So he was like, we're going to send you to Tampa to see Aunt Monica. And I just cried even longer. (laughs) So it was a great little getaway vacation for me. Different scenery. Um, It was just a change. I needed that. I'm, you know, dealing with life. Just needed a break, and it was great to get away. So they that that showed a lot of love that they thought of me to send me away. And you said life
8: issues, because I think a lot of women, a lot of mothers in Philadelphia are taking care of not just their kids, they're taking care of their mothers and their mother's mothers and aunts, and they're taking care of an entire family. And that's what you've been doing. And it's been a hard couple of years. Can you tell us about that?
4: Yeah, especially these last two um, with COVID on lockdown. And for me to have three Golden Girls senior citizens between 76 and 80 to help them out It has been, um, don't want them out. And even with the crime, I don't want them out at all. Who are your golden girls? My mother, who is 80. My aunt Lorena, who will be 78. And my aunt Joyce, who will be 76, all in the next... Two months, July and August are the other two birthdays. Just making sure they have what they need, you know. Um, The houses are nothing's leaking, nothing broke, nothing getting in. Doctors' appointments. I mean, you're their main caretaker. That's the biggest part for me right now is the doctor's appointment. Spreading myself thin, I have to because if ever I or my children I ever needed anything, I know that I could have and will and can go through. Those three women. So I'll go to three doctors' appointment with two of them today and two tomorrow and the next day, and I'm able to do it. So I have to. It's something that I want to do. Where do you find the strength? Prayer. That's all I can. That's all I have. It's prayer, and I get up and do it. I try to get to bed early so I can get some rest because I know I have these challenges ahead of me. And how important is it to
8: not just be a mom, but to be a daughter sometimes,
4: and a niece. It's very important. I love my golden girls. You cannot even understand the love. And I would do anything for them. Wherever I have to go, I'm going. Whatever mountain I have to climb, whatever river I have to swim, I'm going to do it for them. Cause I believe they would have, and they have done it for me when I didn't know how to appreciate them or life. So it's my responsibility now. They're passing the torch to make sure they're good, and that's that's my job,
8: and I love it. And the pandemic, how have you guys been managing through that?
4: It's been challenging, but God is bringing us through. You know, hopefully, it's coming to a head, and it's a little bit un- more under control than what it was. I thought we were going to be living the rest of our lives in the house and ordering offline, which isn't healthy. <laughs> We've all had a lot and um what we can do and as a unit is just keep everybody prayerful you know I believe things will change how fast don't know but if we keep applying something positive then positive will come and what the world needs now is love sweet love. Philly in particular right now is really hot. It's a hotbed of violence
8: in the summer's coming.
4: What's some advice you have for mothers? Just keep them busy. As long as they're working, Um, hopefully, you know, bad vibes won't follow them to work, you know, to wherever they, whatever they're doing. And that's for everybody's son and daughter that is not a part of that. You know, you have some people, kids that are a part of the madness, and you have some kids that want nothing to do with it. So you just keep them prayed up. And, you know, I know God works. I know that firsthand. So that's that's all I can do is keep them prayed up and wherever I can keep them busy with I could at this age I can say, well I need my windows clean or some boxes moved. I'm gonna keep them busy this year.
8: <laughs> is the old school ways work, you know, if it ain't broke?
4: Yeah, don't fix it. Make it work. But first I'd like to
8: say to you, Happy Mother's Day. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, what's your Mother's Day message to those women out there looking for a little reprieve, a little advice?
4: Keep your head up. And if you see another sister struggling, help her straighten out her crown. Sometimes it just takes a smile or a hug to encourage somebody to keep pushing through. And that's what you do. You push. You pray until something happens. Happy Mother's Day. Enjoy, relax, and love. Thank you so much for being here. I'm Sharaday Howard, and that's our newsmaker. To all
8: the moms out there, happy Mother's Day.
7: 30 Seconds to Second Chances brought to you by the Gift of Life Donor Program. On the surface, devout Catholic Carol McLeod has little in common with Abdul Karim Salahuddin. First Muslim person I ever met. But their worlds collided. When Carol's son, Ryan, died. He
2: was just an angel.
7: She donated his organs, saving Kareem's life. She made a decision to save other folks, to save me. The two realize they have much in common, and now they're family. She's a hero to me. Register as an organ donor at donors1.org and help save lives.
0: At Devereaux Advanced Behavioral Health, we exist to change lives by unlocking and nurturing human potential for people living with emotional, behavioral, or cognitive differences. We were founded in 1912 by a special education teacher in South Philadelphia. And since then, we've been treating the most vulnerable members of the population in the same way we would treat our own families. To learn more about our evidence-based, trauma-focused care for children, adolescents, and adults, visit Devereaux.org
2: the philly rising change maker of the week presented by deborah advanced behavioral health
6: W's Antoinette Lee here with this week's Philly Rising Changemaker. Happy Teacher Appreciation Week from the Bridging Philly team. Educators come in many forms, so to all of you out there, thank you. In honor of the week, we're highlighting a Philadelphia man with a passion for teaching tech. Joel Wilson is the founder and CEO of TechCore2, a nonprofit on a mission to develop a tech pipeline for local underserved youth.
9: Joel, thank you so much for joining us on Bridging Philly this week.
7: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
9: So first, let's talk about the organization TechCore2, which you are the founder of. What is it and what made you want to start it?
7: So uh, TechCore2 is a tech STEM coding robotics gaming program uh, for students from kindergarten through high school. We are a pipeline system so once the students hit college, we hire them as instructors. And then once they finish college, we help to get them into careers. Five years old, all the way up through 18, that's our, our target market for training. And then once they graduate high school, we, have, uh, uh, we can still use them. So we, 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 most of our staff, most of our instructors are actually college students um majoring in uh most of the this tech stem field so computer science all of the engineering disciplines we've had electrical engineering mechanical engineering biomedical engineering uh we've uh, math majors we even had a philosophy student who was a, a wonderful um, coding instructor so you know we we heavily employ college students
9: so that's amazing we're really talking about you know starting out with young folks as early as at six and you know, for some of them, maybe these opportunities stay with them until they're uh, teenagers and young adults. That's pretty amazing.
7: Yeah, a- absolutely. So so to really change what is going on in STEM as it relates to the black and brown community, a lot of our, you know, we, ha- we see it in college cause we don't have the numbers applying to engineering, computer science and the related fields. And the reason this is crucial is because if you looked at the last $20 billion companies, at their core, they're all software engineering firms. So, you know, Twitter, you know, that's in the news right now, but Netflix and, uh, you know, LinkedIn, I mean, just all these companies, they are all software engineering companies at the core. So to really transform our community, we have to be all in the mix with STEM, you know? So we need to produce engineers and electrical engineers, biomedical, You know, just all those those STEM professions. So we see it, they're not getting into college or not even applying. And then if you take a step back, they're not taking the STEM classes in high school. So then if you take a step back, they're not taking them in, in middle school. They're not taking them in elementary. So to change the trajectory, we have to get them started in kindergarten. Because if I get you programming in kindergarten, And now you know the lingo, and you've already developed several programs. When they say, hey, do you want to take this in middle school? You're like, absolutely. And then when they say you want to take it in high school, you're like, of course. And then for college, it becomes just a de facto, yes, I'm going to apply to engineering. I'm going to apply to, you know, computer science. And so, so that's the pipeline that we are building.
9: So you're really talking about bridging the gap here between communities of color and opportunities in tech, really. Um, and what communities do you serve?
7: So we, we actually serve um, youth from across the city. So we've had youth in our program, at, you know, from West Philly, our, 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 our headquarters is in West Philadelphia. I actually started out in Overbrook Park in my office, but now we, we've outgrown that space. So we have space in University City. So um, that, that's our, our, our hub, but we serve as kids from South Philly, Southwest, North Philly, Mount Airy, Germantown, kids in the Northeast. We've had kids from outside the city, Ballackenwood and Upper Darby. So we are a city-wide program. We even run after-school programs. Uh, We've been at the McCluskey School in Mount Airy, Overbrook High School. Uh, We're currently running an after-school program at the Beckett Life Center, which is in North Philadelphia, not too far from Uh, Temple University. So we are a citywide program. Uh, We we bring kids into our facilities and then we also go out to nonprofits and community groups that want us to come out to them.
9: Talk about a, a transformational impact. You know, you were saying how it was a transformational impact for you. And sort of along that same line, uh, congratulations on the grant. Um, your organization is receiving $50,000 as part of uh, Governor Wolf's $15.7 million for gun violence prevention. How are you feeling about that?
7: I feel good. And, and the reason I feel good is because the way to really stop the, the gun violence, or one of the ways, because there's no just one exact way, but one of the ways to stop it is that you have to create the opportunities and the safe environments so that the the young folks see something different. Uh, Regrettably, so many young folks are so consumed in this this, uh, this negative mindset we have out here, and they don't think there's anything else they can do. If If we give our kids in West Philly and North Philly and Southwest, we give them the same opportunities, the same outlooks, that those young folks in Lower Marion and Balakin would have, the 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 end results would be no different. So when we can mirror that with that educational foundation, they will become unstoppable. So that's that's what we're trying to help to create.
9: And tell me, how do you plan to use uh, the grant to help forward this mission for the organization?
7: So we are we're currently running Saturday classes, um, in our University City. Um, uh, program site. And those classes are totally free. Um, without the grant, they would be $150 a student. We are offering nine different classes, um, classes on a programming language called Scratch, another one, JavaScript, Lego, Mindstorm, robotics class. And we have several gaming classes. So all those classes are, are are totally free. And then in the summertime, we're going to be doing um, our summer internship again uh, with high school students so they're going to get a phenomenal uh, experience and not only is the you know this program no cost to them to the families the high school students will actually get paid during the summer to learn and then in the fall we're going to run another series of saturday classes uh nine nine classes again and again the classes will be no no cost to the to the families. So we are putting the grant funds to good use so that students, you know, jump in and, and grab as, as as much of this information um, to help transform what you're going to do in middle school and high school and going off to off to college. And, um, you know, get a you know, become part of this STEM career path.
6: If you want to learn more about TechCore 2 and their summer or fall programs, you can go to their Instagram. There you'll find more information, including their website. The Instagram is TechCore2 underscore info. Again, TechCore2 underscore info. That's it for this week's Philly Rising Changemaker of the Week. If you know a changemaker we should highlight next, please let me know. I would love to bring them on our show. You can find me on Twitter at @ARLeonAir. That's
1: A-R-L-E-E on Air. Thank you for listening. Thanks for joining us on Bridging Philly, brought to you by Gift of Life donor program, organ donors save lives. Be sure to connect with us on Twitter at Bridging Philly and with me at Raquel On Air. And of course, please subscribe to the podcast. For Antoinette Lee, Shower Day Howard, and our producer, Arian Fulcher, I'm Raquel Williams. Be well.